0: Hey, podcasters. Hey, podcasters. We got a great uh, program for you today. We have Candace Owens. We spent about an hour with her talking um, about, you know, the world, what's coming, the election. Little, A little uh, spine tingly. Also, something even more spine tingly, a guy who is former national security advisor. Uh, and he talked to us about the coming coup, as he called it. Uh, But it is a color revolution, something that I'm going to be covering on tonight's episode of Blaze TV, probably the most important episode. I just have this feeling this is like last call. This is really it, last call, and something I'm going to be focusing on over the next few weeks as we come up to the election, because you need to know the truth. You will hear the truth and my challenge to social media on today's podcast. To the best of the Glenn Beck
1: program.
0: Mike, welcome to the program.
1: Glenn, thanks a lot for having me on. I've always been a huge fan of yours. I'm a very tickled pink uh, to think.
0: Thank be here. you. Thank you very much. So, Mike, um, tell me about. I mean, this, this, people are going to deny and say this is not happening, but this is exactly what. This is what I said on that chalkboard years ago. The All the enemies of America, the anarchists, the communists, the socialists, the Islamists, they will all band together to destroy America in the end. We're seeing it. It's, this is a great example. Tell me what's happening.
1: So, first of all, it's undeniable. I quote them. <clears throat> I make it a practice, Glenn, to quote the left. In my book, The Plot to Change America, I quote leftist sources, like eighty percent of the time. They usually lay it all out. Yes. Sometimes sometimes they're hard to parse because they, they think that if they use big words we will not understand them. Right. Uh, but 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 I quote them so they so there's, there's no misunderstanding. Here I quote uh, the website of the Black Futures Lab, <coughs> which is a, a one of the many, many ventures of Alicia Garza. Alicia Garza is the founder uh, of Black Lives Matter, the orga- the organization and let's make this very clear from the beginning. The sentiment of Black Lives Matter. There's nothing wrong with it. We all agree with this sentiment. Black lives do, of course, indeed matter. It is the organizations themselves that are that have been founded by by three women uh, who are marxist and they say they're Marxists. Oh, yeah. They say they're trained Marxists. Mm-hmm. Alicia Garza is probably the main one in the sense that she has the, the greatest media profile. So she sits atop a, a what I call a global revolutionary network that has chapters not only in the United States and Canada but all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one of one of her many assets is the global is the Black Lives Matter global network, which is probably the main organization that she founded that and she she leads it. She also uh, had uh, founded. Gathered together, the, the the movement for Black Lives, uh, and, and this other asset that she has, the the the, 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 the Black Futures Lab. Uh, if you go to their website and you click the donate button, if your listeners right now go to the, the the site of the Black Futures Lab and click the donate button, they will be instructed to donate their money to the Chinese Progressive Association. <laughs> so, so 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 what is the CPA? The CPA, oh oh, and the website says very clearly that that the Black back futures lab is a is a fiscal project, is a, a financial project of of, uh, of CPA, uh, and in what does uh, what does CPA do? CPA from the beginning has been a partner of the People's Republic of China. It partners with them uh, in, uh, in, in in doing events uh, around the country. It pushes the Beijing line. It, it from the beginning, it tried to say, it, it made the case that the People's Republic of China was a good thing. This is 1972, right? In the middle of the Cultural Revolution, right? The Cultural Revolution is between 66 and 76. So, so the CPA is created in 72 in the middle of the Cultural Revolution to, to, to push the line of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And I, one can only wonder why what we see today resembles so much the Red Guard actions of the cultural revolution uh so so i want to read to you now what it says because i just opened it up black futures lab is a fiscally sponsored project of the chinese progressive association
0: i i mean i just went to the website i'm reading it myself cpa is a 501c3 tax exempt organization tax identification number is this so i i it's important Again, Black Futures Lab, on their own website, is a fiscally sponsored project of the Chinese Progressive Association. It is, uh, that's, uh, I mean, you can't get any more clear that these are enemies of the state. Uh,
1: you know, China has an interest. China's a rival, right? It's un- undoubtedly, China is a rival of the United States. China has an interest in seeing us be destabilized. China has an interesting in sea mayhem in our streets. Uh, one thing you said at the beginning that I want to, to go back to a remark because I think it's important. What we're seeing right now is uh, with, with the demonstrations and the riots and, and the whole mayhem, it is an attempt to change every facet of America. Every facet. And they say it. Alicia Garza says she, is, she hates capitalism. She needs to replace capitalism. She's very open about that. The Movement for Black Lives it says on its website, We are against capitalism. We want it gone. Uh, uh, they, they, you know, I, I visited, and, but it's not just our economic system. They want to change. They want to change every aspect. I, I visited mm-hmm. Duke. Uh, I drove my children to Duke about uh, two weeks ago. They've done away with sororities. They've done away with sororities because, uh, because they're tied to oppression. I don't know how they got there. Uh, Columbia University, one of my alma maters, has done away with the marching band again oppression <laughs> uh, the
0: University uh, those Chicago, tuba players man they've been they've been a sore spot on, on racism for a long time but anyway go ahead the <laughs> University of Chicago
1: it's a very serious school. right I've always admired the University of Chicago I tell my daughter try to go there they just announced that they're only going to accept to its English department next year people who want to study uh, black studies mm-hmm Black studies is a, a, a an offshoot of critical theory. Angela Davis, I don't have to explain to you who she is, but I'll explain very briefly to your audience. Former Black Panther, a member of the Communist Party USA, uh, you know, does not like the American system. She calls black studies the intellectual arm of the revolution.
0: It is. It is. All- along with all other ethnic studies. Anything that says studies after it <laughs> is a is a problem. It really is. I mean, yeah. you you really better do your homework before you get into a class if it says studies as the last word in the class. Right,
1: right. Or theory, critical theory. Yeah, or theory, theory. theory yeah. Theory, yeah, critical race theory. Correct. All these things are just attempts at tools for changing America.
0: Right. So, Mike, I thank you so much for uh, your work on on this and so much more. Please, if you have more information uh, on other uh, other aspects, please let me know right away, because uh, exposing this is uh, the first step of collapsing it. Just people knowing that Black Lives Matter is now partnering with the a pro chinese a pro communist chinese group and what are they doing i mean welcome you're are you registered to vote what are they trying to do get people to go out and vote why would a communist want a vote well there's a couple reasons maybe they do want joe biden to win but that if you understand black lives matter you understand what the goal here is it's not about the election it's about the violence that is coming around the election they're going to scream that it was falsified that it was corrupt that we don't have a legitimate president the vote was miscounted they've uh, they've uh, 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 taken votes and voters and they've disenfranchised them that's what's important and they're they're leading up right now and saying that you can't trust the vote while they're also saying we should try something new, mail-in ballots. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it just makes no sense. we got to put our thinking caps on, America. How to put your thinking caps on. Mike, thank you so much. We'll talk again. Thank you very much. You bet. Mike, bye Gon- bye. Mike Gonzalez, Senior Fellow, Heritage Foundation. And uh, he's written a book, The Plot to Change America. This is a really great article that you can find at the dailysignal.com. this BLM co-founder and pro-communist China group are partnering up. Uh, but uh, you can find it for yourself. Just go to black's blackfutureslab.org. Do it now. you should take a screenshot of it before they change it. But just go to you can find out all about it, but go to the big yellow button donate and look what it says. This is a BLM group. Black Futures Lab is fiscally sponsored by a project of the Chinese Progressive Association. Not even hiding. It. They don't care. Yeah. The masks are off. They don't even care. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. We all know that the intelligence community of the United States have pulled off coups. We also know that uh, a violent revolution is something that nobody in America wants, that believes in America. We fight it out at the ballot box, not on the streets. I've shown you last night what is needed for a successful revolution to take place. It was on my chalkboard. I said this is something that I have as a watch list that I have privately been watching since 2008. I don't believe that before the election of Donald Trump, they thought they were going to need to do anything drastic, that the left actually thought a revolution was going to be needed. They brought in all these revolutionaries. They brought in all the revolutionary thinkers. They had everybody they needed in media, education, even in the government, in the deep state. Uh, They had the money they needed, the social media. the, the, The only thing they needed was to gut the police and grab the military and then make the American people docile. So when the bottom started to rise up, they just they wouldn't say anything. Well, I think they had all of these things and then when they were shocked that hillary clinton didn't win they knew everything that they had planned is now in danger and donald trump is blowing all of it up they could have gotten away with it and they would have fundamentally transformed us uh you know by now or the next election but donald trump won and they needed him out Now, the left has been using the word revolution a lot lately, and you better start taking them at their word. We're talking a bloody revolution. This is not hyperbole. I want you to listen to this. This is John Kerry. Formerly our Department of State, our Secretary of State, who helped deliver and plan these seven pillars of color revolution for other people. Nations. I want you to listen to this while he was attending a panel this summer, or I'm sorry, this summer for the Alliance of Democracies. Listen. So we have major challenges, and if people don't have adequate access to the ballot, um, I mean, that's the stuff on which revolutions are built. Okay. So Kerry was addressing a question about the American system. And he threw in this line about, look, I mean, you know, revolutions start on not having access to the ballot. So already there, he's signaling that we're going to have a ballot battle coming up in in uh, November. Then he goes on to say, and I'm quoting, if you begin to deny the capacity of your people and your democracy to work, even the founding fathers wrote in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, that we have an inherent right to challenge that. So now he's saying that in America, we can challenge and we have a right to challenge, which we do. But listen to what he ties it into next. He's encouraged by something. What encourages me is this incredible, spontaneous reaction to the killing of george floyd uh by those police officers has unleashed a torrent of awareness uh that that people see this unfairness now and it's i think becoming a voting issue okay really it was a voting issue when it was black lives matter how was it a voting issue he is telegraphing he knew what was going on in the streets and what was coming It's not a voting issue. Even now, it's not a voting issue. They're still trying to make it a voting issue. It will be in seven weeks. But what did John Kerry know and when did he know it? And how did he find that encouraging? I mean, the looting, the fires, the rioting, the death, that's encouraging. And the torrent of awareness of voting. John Kerry knows exactly what he's doing here because he has done it himself before. He was part of it during the Obama administration in 2013 and 2014. It wasn't here. It was in Russia and Ukraine. If you're watching us on Blaze TV, I'm going to show you a photo. This is John Kerry strolling through Red Square in Moscow back in 2013. Interesting time for him to be strolling around. Color revolutions were breaking out all over. This photo was taken when Russia was at the tail end of their own called the Snow or the White Revolution. Well, how did that happen? Well, it was kicked off after a disputed election. Now, this is going to sound very familiar in a couple of months. It was kicked off by online, online bloggers. Who were suddenly very successful and savvy at organizing massive protests using Facebook and social media. Hmm. Where have we heard that before? Oh, civil society and tech camps in Ukraine. Something we exposed on my television program that is a must watch. Now, see if this also sounds familiar. Afterwards, Russia immediately bans USAID. And they kick out the George Soros Foundation. We showed you that what was happening in Ukraine and what really was going on with the State Department that Vindman was trying to cover up, that the left was trying to cover up, was this association with George Soros, USAID and the State Department. Well, Russia was on to it and they kicked us out. Now, I am not saying anything positive about Russia or Putin at all. I, I think Putin is a cold blooded killer. But after knowing what we know about what the Obama State Department was doing with Soros in Ukraine, I can understand why Soros or why Putin was a little pissed off at us. So let me go back to that photo with John Kerry in Moscow. If you can see this photo, there's a guy immediately to the right. He is the ambassador, the brand new ambassador to Russia at the time, Michael McFall. He's a Stanford academic that became the first non-career diplomat to ever ascend to that post. Now, he took office just as the snow revolution was kicking off. And here's why the uh, Russians were... A little concerned after arriving in moscow McFull gave an interview to a russian outlet and he explained how he was different than other diplomats and i want to quote most of the specialists on russia are diplomats specialists in security arms control or the russian culture i'm none of those things i'm an expert on democracy anti-dictatorial movements and revolutions we appointed that guy kind of an odd thing for a newly minted ambassador to say once arriving in a country that is just about to go into revolution and similar on how the state department in ukraine was supporting the street advocates if you activists, if you remember right, we also talked about all of this uh, in Ukraine. We showed how the State Department and our uh, civil servants in our embassy were on the ground, supplying and giving support to the revolutionaries. McFall was holding secret meetings with protest organizers in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. He met with these people that were leading the uh, revolution before he even met with Putin. So I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that uh, Putin had a problem with him. In 2005, McFull wrote an academic paper. This is 2005 on what was needed for a successful color revolution. So now we go another next step. Now, John Kerry is side by side with the ambassador right before they go into revolution. They send him out to be the ambassador to Russia, and then a revolution starts. But he's not only an expert in revolutions, he's one of the guys who outlined how you do it back in 2005. And he called it the seven pillars. And he said, for a color revolution to break out, you need these seven things. So this is what became policy in the Obama administration. If we wanted to eject an elected leader and topple a country. And see if it sounds like the Arab Spring. See if it sounds like all the things we now know were not, quote, spontaneous. That's the thing that really stuck out to me with uh, Joe, uh, John Kerry was the way he was saying and these spontaneous these spontaneous groups are just so static they're not spontaneous. We now know it's historic proof these were organized. they were not spontaneous. Now listen, here they come and I'm going to take them through uh, take you through them one by one, but let me just give you all seven first. This is the Obama administration guide for ejecting an elected leader and toppling a country. 1. You have to have a semi-autocratic rather than fully autocratic regime. 2. You need to have an unpopular incumbent and popular prime minister, president or whatever. 3. You need a united and organized opposition. 4 an ability to quickly drive home the point that voting results were falsified five enough independent media to inform citizens about a falsified vote six, a political opposition capable of mobilizing tens of thousands or more demonstrators to protest electoral fraud and seven divisions among the regime's coercive forces. That would be, Military and the police. All of these pillars were present in Georgia in 2003. The government was toppled. They were present again in Ukraine in 2014. The government came down. They thought they were present in Russia in 2013, but it failed. Probably because they didn't have a semi-autocratic rather than a fully autocratic regime putin has control of that state but they think they have the components ready for us now and they are executing a color revolution now i welcome welcome anyone to tell me with facts where i'm wrong i will explain it with facts in just a second i started to explain it last night with facts at blaze tv.com if i'm right we have seven weeks we have seven weeks to get the word out and to prepare you cannot strike out i know i don't have to say this to you but there are going to be people who are so called on the right neo-nazis that want the end of the constitution just as much as these marxists do that is not the right wing of america that is the right wing of europe we are different the right believes in freedom and justice for all those people are going to strike out and all the press needs And all the all the U.N. needs to come in and make sure that these things are these crazy things are stopped. The only thing they need to silence voices like mine that will tell you the truth is violence on the street from the other side. It is important that you play no role in chaos, and I'm not just talking about violence. You must know these facts and have the proof. We have them all. We're releasing everything, but you need to know. We'll go into these seven pillars in just a second. First, our sponsor. By the way, uh, the administration is on this, and trust the administration. Trust the Uh, Trust that uh, Attorney General Barr uh, knows this as well. He signaled that last night, uh, I think on Fox News or was it early this morning? uh, He signaled that he knows and they are not. They are now saying that they will start uh, treating these people the way they should. And they are. He said to the uh, AGs, start charging these people with sedition. So they are on it. You just need to pray like you've never prayed before and learn as fast as you can. The best of the Glenn Beck Program. I am uh, I'm anxious to talk to uh, Princeton University's mathematics professor, uh, Sergio Kleinerman. Uh, he is... Uh, somebody who wrote an article in Newsweek, Princeton's president is wrong. The uni- university is not systematically racist. And he just asked some simple questions uh, that I think are worth pondering uh, for the entire country. Um, and he is with us now. Sergio, or Professor, how are you, sir?
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Um, I was... You know, I, I wondered where you got the backbone to become a pariah in the university system by saying these things. Um, and then I read your bio this morning. You were born in Romania. Correct. And you had your undergraduate degree in Bucharest in 1973. Correct. When did you come here? How old were you?
2: So I was 25 in 1975.
0: <clears throat> you were 35? 20, 25. 25, Okay. Um, and so does any of this play into the fact that you've seen this stuff firsthand?
2: Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it is pretty uh, stunning how uh, these things are happening in the same way. I the kind of people that are in the bureaucracy today and who are pushing for things that uh, are so familiar to me, uh, it's pretty stunning, I must say.
0: If we don't change our ways pretty soon, do you see us going the way of yeah. hungary and and uh, other nations that have fallen to this before?
2: Uh, I used to think that it's impossible in the United States mm. and I'm uh, now less sure uh, sure that it's impossible i mean I, uh, it is pretty stunning what has happened uh, in academia uh, in the media. In many other institutions, I mean, in fact, right now, you see this woke movement uh, infecting uh, large businesses. So it is uh, it's just everywhere,
0: it seems to me. And it is the, is the uh, main ingredient or the main toxin uh, of this movement the uh, critical race theory? Or what do you see as the critical ingredients?
2: Well, certainly uh, ideologically, that's what it is. Yeah, it's critical race theory. Of course, it's built up. It has been built up on some version of Marxism, which is called critical theory. Uh, there are various versions of it. Uh, but the critical race theory is now the one which is most... Uh, mm-hmm. It most uh, influence uh, in academia media and also of course uh, now you see it in businesses which is pretty amazing a lot of corporations anybody was
0: so you wrote a um, you wrote an op-ed uh, that went into newsweek uh, talking about the president of princeton and how wrong he was when he wrote in july um on july 4th believe it or not that princeton has systematic racism Uh, problems and yeah okay so sorry go ahead no go ahead
2: yeah so uh just uh it's uh, what, what happened is that on july 4th there was a group of faculty members of the faculty of princeton who wrote an open letter to him and to the administration asking for all sorts of things uh there are 48 measures uh that they wanted to implement uh, they all are centered around somehow the fact that that minorities blacks in fact are not enough, i mean um, represented at princeton uh and that princeton is racist and, uh, and something has to be non systemic i mean they you know they they don't call it racist anymore they call it systemic racist, which to me sounds much worse mm mm-hmm in particular since there is no way to defend yourself against it. Anyway, so they wrote this letter, and then uh, the president uh, answered back sometime in August, late August, answered back and uh, conceded the fact that uh, the university is racist. So, systemically racist. The country is is racist. Uh, The university is racist, That something has to be done. And he uh, details. Give some some measure that he thinks should be taken. I mean, much less than what the July Fourth letter wanted, mm-hmm. but still uh, accepting the premise of that letter, which is uh, that university uh, so the university's racist, is unacceptable.
0: Mean, so,
2: one it's of a, the a matter of fact that it's not true.
0: One of the things that I hear from people, they say, "Well, you have to admit, white people have had." Uh, you know, an easier time uh, than black people or etc., etc. et cetera. But they, what they fail to recognize is the solution to any of that is locked with Martin Luther King's idea that judge me by the content of my character and merit. And they don't seem to recognize that solution.
2: No, not only they don't recognize, they reject it. I mean they outrightly reject it as being racist itself, which is pretty amazing uh so yeah according to them uh this is also racist uh if you if you make this kind of consideration based on their you should not look at the color of one's skin uh, that's also racist. that's what critical racist uh insists on uh, saying today
0: you in princeton you have Over sixty-five administrators dedicated to promoting diversity and inclusion. You, you write if implemented, um, how many uh, how many more administrators are going to be needed?
2: Yeah, right. So my the the, what point I'm trying to make is that uh, according to what the. It's a, it's a little complicated. I mean, the, the, obviously, the whole thing is, is all the pressure comes from uh, from one minority in fact, which are uh, blacks, Afri- African-Americans, uh, who are, indeed, there is an issue of, uh, of under at Princeton. But somehow, what it, when you start to articulate what it takes to get around it. You, you have to come up with solutions which will accept in principle that people should not be judged by, uh, according to their merit, but according to uh, the percentage they represent in a particular
0: institution. Which is exactly the... Uh, that's exactly what we divorced ourselves from. We, we, you know, Princeton even had a quota on how many Jews could go there, how many Catholics could go there. I mean, we, we, we spent decades trying to get it to where it was just based on your merit. And quite honestly, in many cases, white people lose to Asians.
2: Right. So, for example, if you look at uh, our department, the Mathematics Department, which is really the top Mathematics Department in the country and probably in the world, uh, the number of uh, white, say, uh, uh, U.S citizen, uh, is represents less than twenty percent. So mm. The rest is people from all over the, and it's not a matter of color, it's nothing to do with color because we have to, we have colored people from India or from yeah. I mean, people who are considered also colored, uh, according to I don't know, the, all these I mean I hate these kind of distinctions anyway. But they are considered colored. They are from Brazil, they are from from Pakistan, maybe the I mean you, you know, name it. They're from all over the world. So the notion that somehow we are racist is ridiculous.
0: So, uh, Professor, what has the response been to your op ed?
2: Well, so I got a lot of, I mean, to my surprise, I kind of expected. I, I, I wrote a few, actually. This is, this is the, the fourth in a series I, I started to write. I never wrote anything uh, uh, like this. I mean, you know, I'm a mathematician, I write mathematics papers. <laughs> right. The technical. So this was the first time, starting with July, that I started to uh, to get really worried about what's going on, and I started to write. This is a false one that I wrote. I only got positive responses to my surprise. Uh, oh, wow. So everything that I got uh, I got in my mail was positive. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, if people are opposed, they somehow don't say it. So this, to me, it, it means that somehow... The this terrible disease uh, that we see is really weak in a sense. I mean, if you push it back, you, you just have to push it back. and think you have to have more courage to push back against it. Mm. And uh, I know I want to bring just one name, because uh, this is a, a, remar- a remarkable story of Jeff uh, Polverade from uh, Canberra. I don't know if I spoke his name correctly, but uh, uh, he's a political scientist at Campus College, who was uh, forced. I mean, everybody in the in the college was supposed to take uh, this kind of indoctrination courses mm-hmm. uh, about uh, diversity and inclusion. And he refused. He was uh, told that he has to uh, that he should be terminated. And uh, still he refused, he stood on his position, and, and in the end he won. He won with the help, by the way, he won with the help of, uh, of a group of us at Princeton who are organized around what we call this uh, academic freedom alliance. I mean, this alliance still has not yet started uh, uh, effectively, but nevertheless we took the case of uh, this particular uh, political scientist in the sense that, that uh, you know, he found we were able to finance uh, his uh, lawyer and, uh, and uh, you know, letters written to the university. And in the end, they gave up. The university just gave up, so well, they him to play, which is pretty really amazing.
0: I am uh, thrilled to hear that there is somebody who is standing up and uh, can't wait until you're really um, ready to push out and be truly effective on a grand scale. But voices like yours and his and what you're doing is so important, Uh, and I I thank you for the courage to speak out. I'm sorry that that it had to be somebody from Romania who's just seen it before, uh, because that's the kind of thing that makes it very possible and plausible that it could happen in America if Americans uh, that were born here continue to have the arrogance that it could never happen here. Professor, thank you very much. Sir, uh, Sergio uh, Kleinerman is a professor of mathematics at Princeton University. Na, 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 na.